it means longer lives, it means improved quality of life, and it means preventing loved ones from getting ALS. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Connecting ALS. I am Jeremy Holton, joined again this week by co-host Jessica Chapman. Jessica, good to be with you again this week. Hey, Jeremy. It's good to be with you again, too. Yeah, an exciting week for us to get together and chat as we are right in the midst of the ALS Association's 2021 Virtual Advocacy Conference. Have you been able to sit in on any of the sessions so far? I was, yes, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the sessions this week and next week. As you said, it's the largest virtual gathering of ALS advocates. Over 900 people attending and 500 of them having ALS along with their caregivers. So an incredible gathering of our community. Yeah, it really is. And we've talked about it in recent weeks on this show, but you know, the ALS Association's goal of making uh, the disease a livable disease front and center during the advocacy conferences as these advocates learning more about how we're going to go about making ALS a livable disease and the important role that advocacy plays, pushing for the public policies that help get us there. Indeed, indeed. And that reminds me of our conversation that we had with Dr. Colda Dave this week in talking about how research plays a role in making ALS a livable disease. And of course, research and advocacy very much go hand in hand, which he talks about that regarding our efforts to increase federal funding for ALS research. Always a pleasure to have Dr. Dave on as we look into that first pillar of making ALS a a livable disease, and that is expanding the pipeline in the search for treatments and a cure. Why don't we get out of the way and we'll turn things over to Dr. Kuldip Dave. Dr. Dave, thank you for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Jeremy. Always happy to join. Yeah, uh, returning champion and and a great time to have you on. The ALS Association recently announced its uh, goal of making ALS a livable disease on the way to discovering a treatment and a cure. So let's just start things off. Dr. Dave, what do we mean when we say a livable disease? Yeah, well, thank you first, Jeremy, for having me. This is really exciting time uh, as the association is unveiling their strategic plan for the next few years. I'm happy to be here and speak about how we get there and how research helps us get there. So what does livable mean? Uh, You know, it can mean a lot of different things to different people. I cannot even start to define or comprehend what it means from a perspective of someone living with ALS. However, I'll give you a perspective of someone who does not have ALS, but is part of the research ecosystem. Many decades ago, when someone was diagnosed with cancer, it was dire and doom. Everybody feared a cancer diagnosis. But now someone with cancer has many opportunities for treatments and interventions. There's chemotherapy, there's radiation therapy, there's immunotherapy, et cetera. These might not be a home run, then they may not be the cure. But they're incremental, but and they extend lives and improve quality of life. And that's what livable means to me. While an ALS diagnosis is definitely never good, that livable means that we're no longer afraid of ALS. It means longer lives, it means improved quality of life, and it means preventing loved ones from getting ALS. And even if it means that, you know, we do the we do this through not home runs, and through incremental approaches, so be it while we look for that home run, while we look for that cure. 
Thank you, Colda. So going back to the strategic plan of the ALS Association to make ALS a livable disease by 2030, how is this different from what the ALS Association has been doing before, specifically related in the research space? Yeah, so thank you, Jessica. This is an important thing to, to look back and talk about what we have done. So th think back six years ago, right after the Ice Bucket Challenge and the funds that were available from that challenge. ALS Association is the leading organization providing care and support and resources for people living with ALS. And we are the largest research funding organization in the world. Ice Bucket funding allowed us to triple the number of clinical care centers across the country. Today, we have over 90 clinical care centers that support over 9,000 people across the country. And on the research side, since 2014, we have committed over $113 million to over 400 different projects across 15 different countries in the world. Even as of today, just a snapshot today, uh, we have 165 active research projects with a total commitment of $55 million. So it is important to talk about what we have been doing and are doing. But these investments coming out of the Ice Bucket Challenge funds allowed us to get to today, where we have recent advances in science and technology and care and research which has provided us a clearer pathway to realize an audacious goal like making ALS a livable disease by 2030. It's audacious, but achievable. And six years ago, that was less likely. Interesting to think about that timeline and how far research has come, how far access to care has come in recent years and, and where it goes from here. Dr. Dove, thinking specifically about that research pipeline that we hear about frequently when we're talking about investments in, in promising treatments, talk to us a little bit about the role that expanding that pipeline plays on the path to making ALS a, a livable disease and eventually finding treatments and a cure. Yeah, and this is a complex question and, and a complex answer, but I'll try to put it in the context of the three goals to making this a livable disease. And research pipeline is going to play a significant role in all three of these goals uh, or priorities. So one is livable means longer lives. And that means research needs to find new incremental treatments and cures for ALS. Now, we know that the research pipeline going from biology to preclinical drug development to clinical trials takes a long time. It's lengthy, it's expensive, and it's risky. We know that more than 95% of drugs that go through that pipeline fail. And so what we need to do is we need to have a diversified pipeline, have more approaches, more clinical trials, more focused research, because the larger the pipeline, the more opportunities for something to get through that pipeline. Uh, so more, more shots on goal. The other bigger priority to make this livable is, you know, how uh, do we improve quality of life? And this means research 
into improving assistive technology, for example, or research at the local chapter level to determine what works to optimize CARES. We, we have chapters all across this country, and they're trying out really novel approaches to improve quality of life. And wouldn't it be better if we can put, we can do some research, formalized research around those approaches to really see how well it works for outcomes for people living with ALS. And if it works, we can then take that and translate that for all over the country. And so that all chapters are using those same approaches. And so, so research at that local level is very important. And then the third priority is livable means preventing loved ones from getting it. Now, this is a fairly new area for our field. We don't traditionally talk about prevention. Think about how much we talk about prevention in terms of cardiac issues, right? We talk about eating low-fat food. We talk about exercising. We talk about controlling our cholesterol or sugar levels. We do all of that to prevent getting heart disease. How do we transform that kind of thinking for ALS? Just like heart disease, we need to start talking about preventing ALS. How do we make sure that, we, that our loved ones who may be exposed to the same environment or the same diet or may have the same genetic mutations, how do we identify them and how do we prevent them from getting ALS? And research needs to catch up here. For example, identifying and validating new risk factors or you know, risk factors are things that increase your chance of getting ALS. Or maybe identifying protective factors, things that protect you from getting ALS. And once we identify these risk factors, be they be genetic or environmental, how do we make preventative treatments against those risk factors and perhaps treat as early as possible? Think about this. Right now, when you go to a doctor's office and your doctor measures cholesterol and your cholesterol is up, doesn't mean you have heart disease, but the doctor will ask you, maybe put you on an anti-cholesterol medication on statins. Why does he or she do that? They do that so that you can prevent from going on to get something bad happening in the future. And that's what we want to get to for ALS. We are really, this is the leading edge. And I'm proud that ALS Association is making this prevention a big part of the overall goal of making ALS livable. Dr. Dave, you've touched on this a little bit. In addition to a greater, more diverse research pipeline, more trials, preventing ALS through identifying risk factors, what else needs to change in the coming years to make this all possible? As I said, making ALS a livable disease is an audacious but achievable goal. And to meet these ambitions will require us to think outside of what we have done so far push aside boundaries, barriers, and do whatever it takes. I think our ecosystem as a whole needs to start measuring success with not what is achieved through process, but through outcomes. So what do I mean by this? So earlier I told you that we have 165 active research projects. That's great. That's a good measure of success in telling people that you know, we're finding good research projects and we're funding them, and we have a diversified portfolio. But that is still process. 
what we need to start measuring is how many of those 165 projects end up being new targets for drug development? Or how many of those therapeutic projects actually get to the clinic? Or how many of those clinical trials actually are successful and become therapies of tomorrow? Um, and I think that is how we start to change. We start to change by thinking about outcomes and, and measuring outcomes rather than process. And I think our, our entire ecosystem needs to think in that way. Dr. Dave, I hear the sense of urgency in terms of uh, pushing forward and where we go from here. I want to pivot to the sense of hope. What gives you hope that you, you said this is achievable, it's audacious, but achievable. Talk to me about where the hope comes from that, that, that we'll get there. Yeah, I, you know, I, I look at people living with ALS. Larry Fralavina, who is a person living with ALS and is on our board of trustees, when this plan was presented to him and he looked at it, he always mentions how he wants to see his voice grow and that he thinks this strategic goal is the best chance for him and many others like him to make that happen. And that, that's what gives me hope. As a researcher and scientist, I can draw out these bold goals for research, uh, whether it comes to longer lives or uh, preventing others from getting it or improving quality of care. But to have someone like Larry measure and vet and validate this strategic plan is what gives me hope. Look, look, what, look what's happened to HIV and AIDS or cancer. And we'll, we'll do whatever it takes to make sure ALS is added to that list so that it is now a livable disease. Dr. Dave, you mentioned this is an audacious but achievable goal. And in order for us to reach this goal, it's going to require all hands on deck. How is the ALS Association engaging other researchers and other organizations to reach this goal? Yeah, ALS is a complex disease. And our research ecosystem is also very complex. There are academic labs who do most of the biology work. There's pharma and biotech companies who do most of the drug development and clinical trials. Then there, is, there are organizations like NEOS, the Northeast ALS Consortium, that provides the infrastructure to do the trials. There are also multiple funding organizations. There is government, of course, between the NIH providing research dollars, the CDC's ALS registry, the Department of Defense's uh, research program. Just those three alone invest over $150 million in ALS research annually. That's 10 times more than the ALS Association. Then there are other nonprofits besides government. There's MBA and ALS Finding a Cure and Target ALS and others. So our goal is to make sure that despite this complexity, despite the many players in our ecosystem, that we're all rowing in the same direction. Our goal is to make sure that we collaborate and partner so that we de-risk and leverage our dollars. That is amplifying the reach of our funding. A couple of years ago, we did an independent study that showed that $40 million of our funding to research led to $120 million of follow-on funding from larger funders like government. And our goal is not just to maintain that threefold leverage, but increase it. And, and so we, 
you know, making ALS a livable disease by 2030 is ambitious and we cannot do it alone. It does take a village. And so we have started reaching out to researchers, organizations, and started socializing our goal and our objectives and our implementation plans so that others can see what we're doing, what we're planning. And this way we can avoid redundancy and perhaps divide and more efficiently conquer this uh, complex disease. You talk about the ecosystem and how all the various parts that you mentioned are working together. What can people listening at home do to engage in the fight to make ALS a livable disease? Get involved, get involved, get involved. (laughs) Participate in research studies and clinical trials. Educate others about the disease. Get genetically screened if that's available to you and the disease, if someone you know has the disease volunteer at our clinics or at our chapters, take part in our walks and events. There's a lot you can do, whether you have ALS, someone in your family has ALS, or whether it's, you know, someone removed a couple of steps and just knows the disease or understands the disease and and wants to be part of that ecosystem. It's it's a complex disease. We're going to need everybody's help. So, Let's fight ALS together. Dr. Dave, before we let you go, is there anything else that you'd like to add to this conversation today? I just want to say uh, I'm really excited. You know, we, we keep coming back to this, Jessica, uh, around audacious but achievable. And it's easy if you set a goal that you know you can meet. It's important to set a goal, uh, you know, in, in sort of, HR language, we like to call them stretch goals. <laughs> and, and these making ALS a livable disease by 2030, it's not easy. It's not going to be easy. Uh, we talked about all the complexity and challenges today that face the research ecosystem, let alone you know, the rest of the parts of that ecosystem. But what makes me so excited is that it is a stretch goal, that it is something that we need to work towards and you know it 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 really um uh, is so ambitious that it forces you out of your element it forces you to think out of the box it forces you to think out of the lane frankly and 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 that's it's 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 challenging me it's challenging other researchers to be more creative because this is an ambitious goal and how are we going to get there and so that's what gets me really excited about this and can't wait to, you know, keep working on uh, driving this research ecosystem to achieve that goal. Very exciting time in the fight. Uh, looking forward to all the breakthroughs to come and, uh, and, and more conversations uh, down the road. Uh, Dr. Koldabdave, thank you for your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Dave. It was so good to speak with you this week. We always enjoy having a conversation with you. And we really appreciate you walking us through how the research pipeline plays into the strategic plan of the ALS Association. Absolutely. A note of hope in there and obviously a sense of urgency in the search for treatments and a cure. We will be sure to share many resources in the show notes, including a reminder of the ALS Association's public policy priorities. Jessica, one of those public policy priorities is to make permanent the expanded access to telehealth that was uh, expanded during the COVID-19 pandemic. And, And we've had opportunities to have folks on this show talking about the importance of telehealth. 
And Jessica, did you know that the ALS Association's Focus Program just put a new survey in the field specifically about the issue of telehealth and how it works, the, the benefits it creates to the community and how we can make it even better? I did indeed. This is an excellent program where we're able to measure telehealth needs, access and preferences of people with ALS. So we certainly need our listeners to go in and spread the word and invite other people to join this ALS focus survey. We encourage those who are living with ALS and their current caregivers and also former caregivers to share your opinions so that we can communicate why telehealth is so important. So important to hear from the community uh, as we tailor these programs and, and as we push for public policies. We will be talking much more in the coming weeks about the goal of making ALS a livable disease. So be sure to tune in. That's going to do it for this week. Be sure to uh, find us wherever you listen to podcasts, rate us and review us and tell some friends uh, to tune in so we can connect with even more people. This week's episode was produced by Garrett Tiedemann of the ALS Association's Minnesota, North Dakota, South Dakota chapter. Thanks for listening. We'll connect with you again soon.